0: Dad, uh, um, he was picked to direct the first uh, Well, actually picked develop and direct The uh, Andy Griffith show And he and Andy and um, uh, Aaron Rubin, the producer All got together and developed the show And then uh, Dad directed the first three years
1: The environment around us, including the people around us You know, it shapes us into who we are And that might be a parent It might be a counselor Or maybe in this case, Hollywood's most rich and famous. But even our environment, it comes with a motive. They all want us to become something specific. Shape us, mold us, push us in a direction. They know what they want us to be. But who do we want to become? And what promise is it going to take to become that person? That's going to be the center of today's episode. Hi, this is Alex Sheen, founder of Because I Said I Would, and you're listening to the Because I Said I Would podcast, a listener-supported podcast, where we share the life stories that come from the promises that people make, the ones they keep, and even those broken ones. In today's episode, you're gonna meet Bridget, a retired marriage, family, and child counselor from Charlotte, North Carolina. Her life is quiet and peaceful, and some may say pretty ordinary, but growing up, not so. Bridget grew up in Los Angeles in a show business family, and that has a tendency to pull your life in a certain direction. But where her life ended up, one of the most important commitments she would make it would be to her father. This is her promise story.
2: That's a cat. we'll go again right away. Oh, wow, okay, so yeah. when you say L.A., you really mean L.A. Yeah, yeah, it was a show business
0: family,
1: and it was a lot of fun. So, close your eyes and picture this. Your dad is the director of one of the most famous and popular television shows of its time. I mean, television, though, was a different medium back then in, in the 1960s, meaning that there was There's like only one television to watch. You know, our attention wasn't divided among podcasts, YouTube channels, Twitch streams, social media, and all the new media today, just one TV. So there really is no modern equivalent. Bridget's dad got to work with characters like Andy Griffith, uh, Barney Fife. Now I've never even seen a single episode of this TV series, but I know who these people are. That's how big it was. I wondered what growing up in Bridget's house was like. So I asked. I remember, uh,
0: Kelly Savalis came to our house a number of times and, uh, um, he taught my parents how to play de Fair, so they loved playing cards with him. And, uh, uh, um, he was talking one evening about his stardom and, because he was so huge on Kojak at the time. And, uh, Basically, he was saying, you know, I have the cars and the yachts and a house in France and I can do this and I can do that. And uh, uh, I said to him, wow, that must be so great. And he said, you know, it's just all stuff. It doesn't mean anything.
2: Yeah.
0: He, he was just a really basic guy.
1: Meeting the star of Kojak must have been an experience. Uh, this was a huge show. It was an action crime drama about the New York City Police Department. I asked her how old she was uh, around this time.
0: Oh Gosh, I guess about
1: 14,
2: 15. It's nice, it's an interesting household of like just kind of walking around at 15. And Star yeah. Kojak is hanging out.
1: Hollywood offers a lifestyle that many, many people could never even dream of living. Or, or maybe we do, but we'd never believe that dream. But Bridget got to live it. And the lifestyle was something that her parents mastered. Bridget was strengthened and empowered by her family. They instilled strong family values and a, a normal teenage life into a situation that was different.
0: To be honest with you, uh, except for the fact that we knew celebrities and that we lived very well because he uh, made a good, really good living. Uh, other than that, it was no different than any, any other family who was upper middle class. Because my dad and my mom's values were uh, such that uh, they just they didn't put up with any BS in, in our household. Uh, you you know you were just who you were. There was no pretense. Uh, there was no artificiality. People just were. Uh, they were people were only invited to our houses per, our house who my parents liked. They never did business in the house. They only had friends over. They didn't have a business associate. So um, it, was a, it was a very um, truthful, basic uh, life and a basic family unit. We just uh, uh, were very privileged.
1: Bridget's family really kept their household grounded, rooted in strong values, and didn't let the pretension and, uh, and vanity of Hollywood into their house.
0: M- my father uh, pretty much knew what everybody's reputations were and he shared that with us uh, but uh, nobody was ever invited to my house uh, like I said we didn't ever uh, associate with people who um, uh, didn't pretty much have the same values as we did yeah. uh, he didn't he didn't have any patience for pretension so uh, we didn't we didn't uh, personally know people like that. We just didn't have time or room for them in our lives.
1: Growing up, Bridget was an only child. It was just her dad, her mom, and herself. But as you could tell, uh, she was never really alone, never really a dull moment. Dad, this Hollywood director, and mom, well, she was pretty awesome, too.
0: My mom was a stay-at-home mom and uh, one of the nicest human beings that ever lived. She was fierce and strong and loving and so funny. Both my parents were so funny, and uh, they just—they uh, didn't take any, any any guff from anybody, and uh, they did what they wanted to do, and believed in their own uh, values, and their own uh, um, abilities, and in mine.
1: And it's a rare thing to be humble in Hollywood. Because sometimes the pursuit, the goal, is taken almost too seriously in this hyper-competitive type of environment, right? Uh, I'm gonna do this because I said I would, but, uh, but at any cost as well. And if I have to step on someone's throat to get there, well, that's what I'm gonna do to succeed. That's not what this family's about, though. Because sometimes with our promises, It's not just the literal nature of it. It's not just this batting average, I do everything I say I'm going to do mentality. What's maybe more important than just keeping a promise is the purpose of that promise. In our code of honor, we say doing what is right will always be more important than keeping a promise. I think Bridget's family understood that. It's what made them grounded. It's what made them honest, authentic. And so that's got to come from somewhere, though. And I asked Bridget, what was it? What, what made them so real? Uh, my dad was raised in San Francisco to
0: extremely poor parents. And uh, my mom was raised in Santa Monica uh, by a single mother. She and her brother. And they had no money. And uh, they, they understood what it was to have nothing. And that they were appreciative for it. Every, every single thing they had in their lives, good health, uh, things, everything, everything that came with privilege, they thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated.
1: Appreciation, thankfulness, that concept, it it often can be what separates someone of strong character from egotism, like an obsession of just like, uh, I want that and I want more of it. Bridget's parents went from rags to riches, and they remember those rags.
0: I also think that people grow out of poverty very, they can grow out very differently. They can grow out like my parents did and appreciate everything and not be greedy. And then there can be people who can never get enough of more and more and more.
2: Yeah, Um, I think that's an unfortunate part of human nature. I,
0: I, I think so, too. And I, I do think poverty drives that as well. Some people who make it uh, do uh, have the talent and catch the brakes. And uh, there's also a cutthroat quality in some people. My, par- my parents didn't have that, but uh, a lot of people who make it uh, step on everybody on the way up, too.
1: Unfortunately, that's the reality of the world that we live in. And I'm not talking just about Hollywood, but let's, uh, let's say corporate establishments, government, politics, banking, Wall Street. It's all around us. It's miraculous that she, that Bridget, was able to grow up in the center of this cutthroat world and ended up basically untainted. It wasn't growing up in show business that made Bridget's life extraordinary. It was extraordinary parents. It was, it was really great. It was
0: really nice. And, and the other thing that was nice about my household is my, my parents, uh, we treated, uh, he, my dad set up the family that we would all be a democracy mm. and everybody had an equal vote. Mm. Um, I, we were all encouraged to express our opinions and our preferences and uh, that we would all share them together. And then if we had big decisions to make as a family, we would all sit down and make them together.
1: Bridget's dad used a pretty interesting parenting tactic here to get his daughter involved in sort of this vote. And maybe that's because he wanted Bridget to understand what it meant, I don't know, to work with others, to understand that your perspective, your, I don't know, your idea, it's not always the end-all, be-all. Sometimes you have to work together. It reminds me of this quote from Robert Fulgham. Don't worry that your children never listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. This perspective that you gotta lead by example. Voting was somehow Bridget's way of doing that and it would become quite useful. Her dad needed his family's advice on a very important matter. He wanted to leave the Andy Griffith show.
0: Uh, He came to us and he said, I wanna make a change. And we sat around and we talked about it like for, I guess, a couple of weeks. And uh, we wanted to know why he wanted to do it. And he said he he wanted to have uh, he wanted to spread his wings and he wanted some more experience, and he wanted to work with more people. And he wanted newer experiences. He felt like he had uh, gotten the show off the ground and had a wonderful time and done well. And he just wanted to uh, uh, venture forth. So uh, then he was talking about uh, uh, some offers that had come in. And uh, we were very encouraging, you know, uh, none of us in the family um, uh, ever encouraged any of the other ones to stay in place, stay safe, uh, don't, don't stir up the water. Uh, everybody, everybody in our family was in, encouraged each other to grow. And so he did leave the Griffith Show after three years. And he went on to uh, do uh, direct other things, and he produced the Patty Duke show, and he, uh, he directed the, uh, the pilot for That Girl with Marlo Thomas. Mm. And then he went on to uh, produce the original Hawaii Five-O. 0 He uh, directed Fantasy Island, Love Boat, Dynasty. Gosh, he, he just, he worked a lot.
2: He really loved what He's, he did. He sounds... Sounds like a busy guy. What was his name? Bob Sweeney. Bob Sweeney did
1: go on to have a very successful career in Hollywood, with multiple Emmy nominations for his work on Hawaii Five O and The Love Boat. He also went on to direct for Matlock uh, and Hogan's Heroes, among many other successful television shows, as Bridget previously mentioned. His credits also included acting in film roles for Disney and even landed a role in Alfred Hitchcock's 1964 thriller, Marnie. The change that Bridget's father decided to make with that family vote ended up being a smart one and their family continued to thrive in the success of Hollywood television. We're talking Hollywood royalty. But the glory, it came with a price. Bridget struggled with something that money, fame, all the fortune, it couldn't heal.
0: Yeah, um, uh, I'm bipolar, and at the time when I was uh, growing up, they didn't really understand bipolar disorder, and it was called manic depression, and almost no one was diagnosed with it.
1: Bipolar disorder is a phrase that a lot of people have heard, but they may not know the actual definition of. The National Institute of Mental Health defines bipolar disorder as a manic depressive illness. It's a brain disorder that causes unusual shifts in mood, energy, activity levels, and that all affects the ability to carry out day-to-day tasks. The moods that we're talking about are in this range, uh, in periods of extreme, up, elation, being energized behavior that's known as manic episodes to very sad or hopeless periods that's known as depressive episodes so
0: i i had uh episodic uh chronic depression and uh they didn't really know they didn't even believe that children had depression at the time um unless it was uh, triggered by a sad event they didn't think that it was just synaptic and something Um, physiological that people suffered from. So I just kind of dealt with it. My parents tried to teach me how to pull myself up by my bootstraps, but that didn't work. So we just kind of dealt with it any way we could. And therapy wasn't an option at that time, particularly for children. So um, I just kind of struggled along. and, And then when Dad was doing the Patty Duke show, Patty came and lived with us for a while.
1: For those of you who might not know who Patty Duke is, at age 16, she came into fame by playing the role as uh, Helen Keller in the 1962 film The Miracle Worker, and that won an Academy Award for her performance. Soon after, she was offered her own show, The Patty Duke Show. Patty's son is actually someone who today's generation might be a little bit more familiar with, and his name is Sean Austin. Many people, maybe like myself, uh, we know him as Samwise Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And even more recently, he played the character of Bob Newby from Stranger Things. Uh, Also, Rudy from the movie Rudy. I don't know, I remember that. But Patty Duke's legacy in the business is obviously more than her son, it uh, was exponential. She intersected with so many people's lives across the world. And of course, in Hollywood, with Bridget's father, Bob Sweeney, he was her director and working so closely with her, he discovered that there was actually something wrong, something that was happening in all of this success, and um, and she needed his help.
0: She came to live with us because he found out that she was being abused by her managers with whom she had been living. They were also her guardians. And when he found that out, he took her out of the home and threatened them with legal action and brought her home to live with us. And during the time that she lived with us, she was very sick uh, emotionally. And eventually, she came to find out that she was bipolar. And I had similar but lesser symptoms. So I was kind of considering, wow, well, I'm a lot like her. But maybe this is something I need to think about. So uh, when she got when she got diagnosed, I uh, went into therapy, and I was about, uh, I guess,
2: sixteen. And how old, uh, she, how old would would she have been? Uh, eighteen. Okay. Eighteen so or nineteen. Were, I mean, almost like that age of friends uh, yeah
0: we were friends we were very good friends we at the time we were we were almost like sisters we were very very close so she uh she got diagnosed and finally got better care and I nobody believed that that was the case for me so I didn't get diagnosed until my late 20s and I just kind of suffered along but eventually I kept hammering you know I I'm I'm reading all this information, you know, in the library because there are no computers, and I'm considering that this is a possibility and nobody's, you guys are not listening to me in the mental health profession, and I'm disturbed by this. Nobody's taking me seriously. You're only listening to my symptoms, and you're not listening to me be proactive about my my own mental health, and this is really making me angry. So on top of that, uh, the mental health, I was so close to death with the asthma so often. I was so sickly. I was out of school more than I was in. So I, you know, health was just a serious issue for me. And, and getting to be 67 years old is just a shock. I, I can't believe I fought all the odds and got here.
1: <laughs> As someone who has suffered with a mental illness with uh, such a stigma... Well over time she's been able to control it master it almost and now counsels others I wanted to get her thoughts on the impact of mental health challenges in our society and understanding
2: this uh, elusive disorder you know um and yeah not, and people not are not embarrassed by it embarrassed by it. but no one's embarrassed by cancer no one's embarrassed no. By, uh, by by those types of, of diabetes. diabetes yep Absolutely. You know, a bad car accident,
0: that's not embarrassing. It's as if mental health is your own fault because you can't make it better. Yeah. And You've what, done something wrong.
2: And as someone not only with, you know, you know, who who's thriving in this condition, but also someone who is in the field, so to speak, what do you say to people who are maybe, Yeah, I, I don't know how exactly to phrase it, but there are some people who see the gray area of mental health And they kind of focus too much on it, meaning like, well, what's the difference between someone who's just a bad person and someone who has an actual mental health issue, right? They'll blow those lines. What what do you say to somebody who, who might be finding themselves in those thoughts?
0: One of the things I try to make clear to people who are struggling or, or come to me for help or, or just even socially come to me with a question about uh, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? I, my bottom line for people to to bring a teaching moment to their lives personally is um, the thing you need to understand about mental illness is that this is something broken in them. This is not something they're choosing to do to themselves. They are not malingering, they're not behaving badly because they want attention. This is about uh, physiology, it's about your um, physical health. In your brain, not behaving properly because something isn't working. Just like if you have heart disease, your heart is not working. If you have mental illness, something in your brain is not working. And if things are not firing properly, you're going to get in trouble. It's going to be hard. It's going to be worse for you than it is for other people. And that does not mean you're a bad person. You may be making bad choices, but it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And uh, people need help. Even, Even people who are not mentally ill, who are making bad choices, need help.
1: And Bridget was lucky enough to receive that help. Prior to understanding her mental illness and managing that successfully, she was lost. Without it being treated for so long, it was hard for her to navigate adulthood, and through her 20s and 30s, Bridget didn't have a direction, so she found it with a little push from dad.
0: Uh, I had, um, I really liked serving, so I was a waitress for many years. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a nice restaurant, and I did well, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with people, and I loved meeting the public. It, it was just a, a job I really liked. And uh, my dad, for years, just kept saying, Honey, honey, I understand you enjoy what you're doing, but you're not exercising your intelligence. <laughs> please, please, I'm begging of you, do something more with your brain. <laughs> so... I, I had gotten married and divorced, and then I went back to serving, and uh, he just, uh, it, it, at one point, we were uh, sitting at Christmas at, at their house, and uh, we'd all had some champagne, and he had a couple of glasses more than we did, and he got all misty and, and kind of weepy, and he said, please If you want to give me a Christmas present this year, please, please go back to school. I would love for you to be the first person in this family to get um, a degree and absolutely the first woman who's ever in this family who's ever been to college. That would mean so much to me. And I said, well, I'll, I'll look into it. And so um, I uh, investigated, uh, I thought about what I wanted to do first of all, which was I I always wanted to be in psychology. So I pursued um, uh, trying to find the best college uh, that would be available to me that would not be overwhelmingly gigantic. I didn't want uh, something big like UCLA. So I looked into small colleges and I found uh, Cal Lutheran University and actually to go back from there, I had to start at junior college. So uh, I went to uh, four years of junior college. It took me four years to get through. In the meantime, uh, after I had decided what I wanted to do and I found the college, I went back to dad and I said, okay, okay, I'm gonna do it. If you'll back me financially, I I will commit to this and I promise you, I will go through and I will get my bachelor's degree And I will do something with my life, and I will pursue my dream of psychology. That's actually why I wanted to go into psychology, because I didn't think I got good enough care when I was younger. And uh, I I really resented the medical profession dismissing me as a patient. Mm -hmm. We're the doctors. You're the patient. We know better. Mm -hmm. Don't question us.
1: Bridget's promise wasn't just about giving her life a purpose, a direction. I mean, that's important. But maybe part of this commitment was about making her father proud. And if you can make someone like Bob Sweeney proud, well, then you've done something, right? He just wept openly.
0: He was so thrilled. <laughs> but uh, as time went on and I did well in school and I really enjoyed learning, um, uh, I eventually got my bachelor's and decided, well, I can do this. I'm going to go for a master's. So... Um, I was uh, halfway through my master's when uh, dad uh, developed cancer. And uh, um, he just, uh, he had a really rough time. <clears throat> but um, mom and I took care of him, and I finished my degree, and uh, he was so proud of me. Um, he, uh, the two weeks after I graduated, finally, after six years, He died two weeks after
1: I graduated. Quote from William D. Timaeus. You don't really understand human nature unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at his parents every time around. And why his parents will always wave back. That's the love a father has for his daughter. Bridget's graduation would be the last time her father... Would get to see her go around, and you know what? That's not too
2: bad.
0: Yeah, I got I got my A.A. my B.S. and my M.S. Wow. and um, um, he he hung in through the whole thing. And to be honest with you, I think he was so excited about the promise I made, and so excited that I was fulfilling it, and so proud of me that he really hung on longer than he wanted to, because he wanted to see the
1: final day. Every parent wants to see their children reach their highest potential. Bob Sweeney, he got to see a part of that before he went. And we all love when a story ends the way we want it to. You know, this happy ending. But for better or worse, sometimes the best reflection in life comes when we consider the opposite. I asked Bridget, what do you think would have happened if you didn't follow through on this promise to your dad?
0: I wouldn't have had as full a life. I wouldn't have been as close to my parents. I wouldn't have, when either of my parents died, I would not have felt like we all did the best we could in our lives separately and together. I would have been disappointed in myself and I would have been very hurt by the disappointment I would have seen in his face.
2: But thankfully that's not where we live, right? No, it isn't. We are somewhere else and, and that's I think the power of, of, of promise. I don't want to say it too pokey of a way but you know one promise can change the trajectory of a life by so I much. I
0: completely agree with you.
1: Both of Bridget's parents have been gone for a while now, since 1992. And since then, Bridget has created a, a pretty wonderful life for herself in Charlotte, North Carolina, taking in all the lessons that she learned from those moments of glitz and glamor and show business from her childhood, the strong values her parents try to instill in her, and maybe most importantly, the push that dad gave her to live that fulfilling life. And I asked, uh, I asked Bridget a question that is sometimes hard to ask of even myself, when I think about my own dad, what would, you, um, what would you say to him right now if you could?
0: I would say to them, I hope I have continued to keep promises about my character and that you are to this day as proud of me as you were when I have had my biggest achievements, that you are proud of me as a person for my daily choices.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Because I Said I Would podcast. My name is Alex Sheen and I'm the founder of Because I Said I Would. When we look at Bridget's promise to her father to to complete her education, it just reminds me about how important that thought is to humanity itself, education. Education empowers us in, in so many ways. I mean, as human beings, we are incredible. We have this capacity, this potential to make a difference in our community, in our family, in ourselves if, and only if, we actually know how to do that, how to make that difference. And education empowers that how. It empowers us to know how to take care of our heart, how to be a better parent, or how to you know, maintain a job and income to provide for your family. Education, it is incredibly important, and that's the first step in so many promises, but it is not the last. We obviously have to use that education, which reminds me of a quote from Mark Twain. A person who won't read has no advantage over one who can't read. And that's our episode for today. Uh, Please know that this is a listener supported podcast. So if you love this content and you want to see it make an impact in other people's lives, I encourage you to go to BecauseTheySaidItWould.com slash donate. Make a gift to our charity. 100% of the proceeds go to not only create content like this, but to fuel our programs in character development in schools and prisons. Our chapters of volunteers that make promises to help others, local communities. We also have accountability programs and awareness campaigns with global reach, uh, but we need your support. And if you're looking to hear more stories like this, maybe in another format, check out the Because I Said I Would book available today. It came out in January of 2019. So it's fresh and it's available at becauseisaidiwould.com slash the book. Lastly, I just wanna say that the entire podcast series is available on becauseisaidiwould.com slash the podcast. You can also obviously subscribe through things like Apple Podcasts and most other platforms. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, give us a little rating, a little review, tell us how things are going. A special thanks to our producer, Julie Fink, Dave Douglas, our audio engineer, and I am your host, Alex Sheen. Until next time, remember a single promise, it can change a life forever. And behind every promise, there's a story.